This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Honesty, virtue, and fidelity to the law are alien concepts to Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray. It's not that the Attorney General and the FBI Director are incompetent like their boss, Joe Biden. No, far from it. They're crafty. They're cunning operators. Armed with immense power and unlimited resources, they have become a law unto themselves. Their desired end, invariably political, justifies any corrupt or wrongful means. Operating under color of authority, they exploit it for partisan reasons. They launch investigations that are unwarranted while refusing to pursue those that are warranted. They conduct raids based on ideology, not law, persecuting people with whom they happen to disagree. Parents who complain at school board meetings, those are deemed terrorist threats. So too are Catholics. Pro-life activists are treated as criminals, while violent abortion activists and Antifa are allowed to commit crimes with impunity. In case after case, liberals or progressives, they get a free pass. They receive protection, if you will, from transgressions large and small. This is especially true of those close to President Biden, including his influence-peddling son, whose foreign self-enrichment schemes involving his dad may amount to the most lucrative sellout of America in history. At the DOJ, Merrick Garland refuses to appoint a special counsel or otherwise recuse himself from a criminal investigation into his own boss and his notorious son, while ignoring federal rules that demand disqualification. It's required. Why won't he step aside? Well, the answer is simple. He's running interference for the Bidens. Over at the FBI, whistleblowers have produced evidence that the Bureau buried the Hunter Biden laptop story and helped spread the absurd lie that it was Russian disinformation. The agency played an instrumental role in censoring and suppressing the laptop story. That, according to documents that surfaced in the Twitter files. In all matters, Garland and Ray have created a dual system of justice. If you're on the wrong political end of it, you'll find yourself targeted with the full force and might of the Department of Justice and the FBI. If you're on their side, well, there's no need to brace the door at night. The wolves won't be scratching there. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is the brief with Greg Jarrett. New report: the government is warning of a known safety threat that poisons thousands of Americans every year and worse. Craig didn't know his wife and kids were going to die that night. 
Craig tried to do the right thing during Hurricane Ida. He bought a gas generator and fired it up. But during the night, deadly carbon monoxide seeped out of the gas generator and into Craig's home. It poisoned his wife and two children in their sleep, say fire officials. The sad part is Greg isn't alone. What's even worse, Craig's tragedy did not have to happen at all. Thanks to a new generation of portable, safe, silent, and 100% fume-free generators that is now available to all Americans, even those who think they might not be able to afford it. The Patriot Power Generator is a solar generator that doesn't use gas, so it doesn't have fumes, and instead of being loud, it's quiet as a laptop. Plus, it's so lightweight you can take it with you, even use it inside. And it's powerful enough for your phones, medical devices, even your fridge. And right now, you can go to 4 and use code GREG to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including the Patriot Power Generator. Just go to 4 and use code GREG to get 10% off. That's 4 Use code GREG to get yours today. Last week in a televised hearing on Capitol Hill, Attorney General Merrick Garland got absolutely roasted by U.S. senators, and rightly so. He tried in vain to defend his own indefensible conduct. Senator Ted Cruz, in particular, ripped Garland for not bringing a single case against any of the hundreds of protesters and rioters who threatened conservative Supreme Court justices just outside their homes, harassing their families and children in clear violation of federal law. But in the wake of the leak of the Dobbs decision, when rioters descended at the homes of six Supreme Court justices night after night after night, you did nothing. The department did nothing. When extremist groups like Ruth Senas and Jane's Revenge, openly organized campaigns of harassment at the homes of justices, you sat on your hands. When these same groups posted online information about where the justices worship, or their home addresses, or where their kids went to school, you again sat on your hands and did nothing. Your failure to act to protect the safety of the justices and their families was an obvious product of political bias. You agree with Roe versus Wade. You disagree with the Dobbs decision. And the Department of Justice under this president was perfectly happy to refuse to enforce the law and allow threats of violence. And as you know, those threats finally materialized with Nicholas Roski, a 26-year-old man from California who traveled across the country, was arrested outside the home of Justice Kavanaugh, armed with a handgun, a knife, and burglary tools. And he said he came there to kill Justice Kavanaugh because he was enraged by the leaked opinion. Now, of course, you're prosecuting that individual for attempted murder. But did you bring even a single case to enforce this law Or did the Department of Justice decide this law doesn't apply if it's harassing justices for an opinion we don't like? When the Dobbs uh, draft was leaked, I did something no attorney general in the history of the department had ever done before. 
for the first time in history, I ordered United States Marshals 24-7 to defend every uh, residence of every justice. Well, Garland, as a judge, you're familiar with asking counsel I'm to answer an a question. I am answering. Has the Department of Justice enforced this statute? Have you brought a single case against any of these protesters threatening the judgment? Justices under 18 U.S.C. Section 1507. You brought even one. Senator, you asked me whether I sat on my hands, and quite the opposite. I sent okay, 70 United States Marshals. Let me try again. To and Have let me you, has the Department of Justice brought even a single case under this statute? It's a yes-no question. It's not a give a speech on the other things you did. The job of the United States Marshals is to defend the lives. So of the, the answer is no. Is to defend the lives of the justices, and that's their number one priority. They have. Why are you unwilling to say no? The answer is no. You know it's no. I know it's no. Everyone in this in this hearing room knows it's no. You're not willing to answer a question. Have you brought a case under this statute? Yes or no? As far as I know, we haven't. Garland's excuse was the definition of stupidity. With a straight face, he claimed that any arrests and prosecutions were up to local law enforcement. That is not remotely true, and Garland knows it. The intimidating thugs violated federal law by threatening federal justices. Senator John Kennedy drew an apt comparison to the treatment of parents who complained about critical race theory and COVID restrictions at local school board meetings. That actually is a local law enforcement matter. And yet Merrick Garland chose to make it a federal case. He had no authority to do it. He sent his attack dogs at the FBI to go after parents who dared to voice their free speech objections. At the hearing, Garland had the audacity to essentially deny it, even though his signed order is printed in black and white. Our nation's attorney general has transformed himself into the symbol of unequal justice. Invariably, his decisions are politically driven. The divisive issue of abortion is a prime example. Senator Mike Lee pointed out there have been 81 attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers, and only two people have been charged under federal law. Meanwhile, 34 pro-life activists have been charged for blocking access to or vandalizing abortion clinics. Garland's stuttering excuse has to rank as one of the dumbest answers in recent history. The AG explained that Antifa and abortion activists, they tend to operate at night. What? Since when does the FBI only work in daylight hours? Is it just a nine-to-five job? Hardly. Garland also appeared the fool when confronted with photographic evidence of how his FBI used an armed SWAT-style team to arrest a Catholic father of seven early one morning, while his young children screamed in terror at the guns aimed at their dad. Talk about an abuse of power and excessive show of force. It was both horrifying and disgraceful. That father, by the way, Mark Houck, what was he accused of? Okay, wait for it. Disorderly conduct at an abortion center. His lawyer had offered that his client would turn himself in voluntarily, but no. Garland and his FBI goons wanted to terrorize Houck and his family because he's a Christian conservative 
who opposes abortion, which Merrick Garland favors. The father, by the way, was acquitted in less than an hour by a jury because there was no credible evidence against him. You think that it was objectively reasonable and they followed your guidelines in sending 20 to 30 armed agents to terrorize these people? Yes or no? The facts I have, which are those presented by the FBI, are not consistent with your description. So you think it was reasonable? I'm saying the facts are not as you describe. What, that the children weren't there? That there, wasn't, that there weren't long guns there? That there weren't agents? What, wasn't, what, what do you dispute? What's the factual premise you dispute? FBI Be specific. FBI said they don't agree with your description of... Be um, specific. They don't agree with what? Of, of how many agents, of the agents who were there, and of what their roles were. They don't agree. Philadelphia District Attorney declines to prosecute. The private suit's dismissed. You use an unbelievable show of force with guns that I just note liberals usually decry. We're supposed to hate long, long guns and assault-style weapons. You're happy to deploy them against Catholics and innocent children. Happy to. And then you haul them into court, and a jury acquits him in one hour. I just suggest to you that that is a disgraceful performance by your Justice Department and a disgraceful use of resources. Senators are to be commended for exposing how the DOJ and FBI have become political organs of the Democratic Party imposing a contemptible double standard. Trump gets his home raided over classified documents, but Joe Biden doesn't. The Washington Post reports that senior FBI agents objected to the Mar-a-Lago raid because they said it was excessive and unnecessary. The dispute over records, they said, was a civil matter, not criminal. And in fact, they were right. Trump had already informed bureau agents that they could have access to everything. Take what you want. But Garland wanted to go after Trump, so he inflated the potential charges, snookered a magistrate, and overruled the FBI. Law professor Jonathan Turley called it the DEFCON 1 approach. It was entirely political, not at all legal. Christopher Wray didn't fare much better than Garland when the FBI director was grilled by Fox News anchor Brett Baer. Wray was more polished and articulate than the attorney general, but, you know, that's like saying Joe Biden is smarter than Howdy Doody. Wray ended up bobbing and weaving like a prizefighter. When he wasn't refusing outright to answer questions, he was dodging and deflecting. He ducked an important inquiry about the many whistleblowers who have courageously stepped forward to expose rampant internal corruption at the Bureau. Ray pivoted away from explaining why the FBI concealed from the American voters Joe Biden's classified document scandal until after the recent midterm elections. The FBI director also refused to address polling data that shows Americans have lost all confidence in what was once the world's premier law enforcement agency. Under his stewardship, the Bureau's reputation is in tatters and has descended to an all-time low. But the director seems to have his head stuck squarely in the sand, oblivious, arrogant, self-righteous. These are typical Washington contagions. Masks don't help. No vaccine is available for that. In the most revealing exchange, Ray denied outright 
any wrongdoing by the FBI despite clear evidence to the contrary. Unbelievably, he claimed that agents didn't tell social media companies to censor or suppress information like the Hunter Biden laptop story. This despite reams of documents showing that the Bureau did precisely that. The FBI does not and is not in the business of functioning as the truth police. Understood. We don't tell social media companies to censor anything. So there you have it. Ray tried to parse his language by using the word tell. It was a distinction without a difference. Hundreds of FBI emails and text messages, as well as testimony from former Twitter executives, show that the agency cajoled, encouraged, manipulated, pressured, and all but directed the platform to kill the laptop story, which it promptly did. The FBI also sent encrypted missives to Twitter officials pushing them to banish people from the site based on purely political views. Every hour of every day, Twitter was getting inundated, bombarded, by FBI demands to get rid of people on their platform. And of course, Twitter happily complied. Baer confronted the director with several examples of a dual system of justice and how people have been treated differently by the Bureau depending on their politics. And Ray, he simply rejected the premise by claiming that the FBI is, quote, independent, objective, and fair. What a load of manure. The record establishes just the opposite. Is it any wonder that 53% of Americans think the FBI acts like Biden's Gestapo? That according to a Rasmussen Reports poll. Or that half the country distrusts the FBI. Trust is earned. Both Garland and Ray have squandered that trust. The law is inviolate. If it's to function properly, it must be fairly and equitably administered without favor, regardless of politics. But the actions of Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray demonstrate that they could care less about such important principles. They have empowered themselves to transgress the very rights, the very liberties that all of us cherish. They don't serve government. They seek to undermine it. And in doing so, Garland and Ray attack the very structure of democracy and our systems of justice. They inflict significant harm to the reputation of federal law enforcement and the integrity of the thousands of individuals who serve faithfully and honorably. One of those who served honorably is former FBI Special Agent Tom Baker, who spent 33 years at the Bureau. He's author of the new book, The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy. And and Tom, thanks so much for joining the brief. I must say, I agree wholeheartedly with the title and the premise of your book. But from your vantage point, someone who spent more than three decades at the FBI. In what ways is the once great FBI now a threat to democracy? 
It all traces back to a change in culture, which was initiated by Bob Mueller when he was director and continued under Comey, where the emphasis shifted from that of a law enforcement agency, which is guided by the guardrails of the Constitution, to an intelligence agency, which is more freewheeling and speculative. And, and in my contention is that's what's at the root of all the abuses. You know, I must, I must also say I found it utterly shocking when it was learned through the Twitter files that the FBI had 80 agents assigned to monitor social media platforms. And even more stunning was how the Twitter files showed that the FBI was sending daily emails to Twitter and I presume Facebook and other platforms pressuring them to banish users in some cases and to censor or suppress stories and posts on social media, including, of course, the Hunter Biden laptop story that the New York Post broke. So what does that tell you? Well, that's one of the the clearest and most recent examples of the Bureau drifting away from the moorings of a law enforcement organization into the speculative world of intelligence. And, and there we have the FBI contracting, using, in this instance, Twitter as an agent or an agency to censor speech, to curtail speech of Americans, which is a clear, which if the FBI did it, would be a clear violation of the First Amendment. So here we have this intelligence mindset where they're censoring speech. It's a bad business because they shouldn't be censoring speech in the first place. But the second thing is you can be wrong. Uh, Chris Ray, in his interview with uh, Brett Baer, uh, emphasized, he used the word foreign three times, that they were only looking for instances of foreign interference in our elections and our democratic processes. Well, the fact of the matter is, as the Twitter files reveal, they found very, very few instances of foreign matters. Most of the people they were censoring were Americans who were making commentary, sometimes even jokes, about elections and politicians in our own country. I mean, what business is it of the FBI uh, to be trying to enforce uh, the policies of social media platform, whether or not people are conforming to the platform's uh, terms of policy? I mean, that, that to me, I just can't wrap my head around it. What business is it of the FBI? And yet that's what they were doing. Some of these email communications to Twitter, for example, saying, oh, we think this person or that person is not complying with your terms of service. Butt out. It's not your business. Don't put 80 FBI agents who could be going after terrorists and violent criminals to be sitting in a room somewhere and monitoring social media platforms. Uh, what do you think? Well, it, it's it's such a clear example of, of once again, the, the Bureau losing its way. Not only shouldn't they be doing it, not only is, is it, to my mind, a clear violation of the First Amendment, but they can't see it now. Christopher Ray and his explanations, and I talked personally to an intelligence analyst at the Bureau only a couple of weeks ago, they just don't see it. They are so deep into all their uh, jargon and uh, 
identification of domestic terrorists versus domestic extremists versus white supremacists that they can't see, they can't lift up their head and look and see that this is a clear to us a clear violation of the First Amendment. And aside from the fact that they shouldn't be doing it, it's a risky business because you can be wrong. And now we know that they were so wrong that we, the FBI and the U.S. government, were so wrong uh, about at the beginning of the, the presidential investigation about the Steele dossier. All that information was wrong. They were led astray, and they could be being led astray again. It's a risky thing to get involved in. They shouldn't be doing it, and they shouldn't be trying to excuse it. You know, I do commend, Tom, the whistleblowers who've come forward to Congress and uh, the story that they are reportedly telling is quite chilling that senior FBI officials who have had Hunter Biden's laptop in their possession since December of 2019 tried to hide its contents, bury any investigation into the evidence of potential crimes that are contained on the laptop. Does that help explain in your mind how an investigation into the president's son's influence peddling schemes has now stretched into its fifth year. No charges have been filed. Well, well, once again, uh, th that indicates and that shows us that something is wrong and that the people at the very top uh, who we have to, or I, I do, still give them credit for good intentions, don't see the problem. Uh, in the Hunter Biden thing in the fall, uh, you might remember, they let an assistant agent in charge of the Washington field office who was had clearly and and was clearly documented that he was deep sixing, burying, shunting aside the Hunter Biden laptop investigation. They let him walk out the door. And whenever Chris Ray and others are confronted about these problems, they say, well, they say essentially the bad apples are gone. They use various words that they're no longer with us, going all the way back to the fact that Comey, McCabe, and Strucker are no longer with us, and all the way up to this fellow that was let walk out the door in October and others in between. But they have to stop and look at the underlying problem. And 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 it it's so clear. And the Hunter Biden thing is just it's it's baffling. It's baffling because the information that was put out to the those two senators early on in the matter, uh, saying that it might be hacked material or it might be stolen material. Well, Hunter Biden himself never claimed his laptop was stolen. He never right. claimed his laptop was hacked. That was a ridiculous explanation. And in fact, in fact, the Bureau has some incredibly uh, highly skilled uh, technical people who can get into these laptops and get in and behind computer high drives in very quick order. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, from a practical non-high-tech aspect, all you have to do is contact the people uh, with whom Hunter Biden was communicating. Is this your email? Is this the one you received from Hunter Biden? Is it true? Is it, uh, can you verify and authenticate it? And, and all of them, including Tony Bobolinsky, said yes. Uh, you know, that's pretty strong circumstantial evidence, if not direct evidence, that, that in fact the laptop uh, was was verifiable and authentic. Let me switch to last week's interview with FBI Director Christopher Wray. I really thought it was quite revealing. Some questions he refused to answer. Other responses were 
I think the model of evasion, he completely dismissed uh, what the FBI was doing in coercing Twitter into censoring and suppressing by saying, oh, we don't tell them what to do. We don't tell them. Well, that's convenient and misleading, isn't it? Because you know, when the powerful FBI is asking you to do something, you know, there's a tendency to do it. Uh, and that's exactly what Twitter did. They capitulated. So, you know, wasn't Ray parsing words to try to weasel out of what the FBI did? Frankly, without a doubt, that was one of the more disappointing segments. In, in the past, Ray, as I, as I said before, he's often half apologized by admitting that they they dismissed the bad apples. In the case of Twitter, he's still trying to defend the whole operation. It's something they shouldn't be doing. He used the word in his explanation, foreign, three times, two or three times anyway, that they were looking for foreign interference. Uh, in fact, the, the feedback from Twitter in, in the files that have been documented is there's only one or two instances of any foreign interference. It's not something they should be doing. He should have been more forthright about it and admitted that, but he intent instead he he can persisted in actually defending what they were doing with Twitter. It's unlike any other community outreach where they reach out on a factual basis to people in private industry about particular problems. This is tinkering with the First Amendment. It's something previous directors always warned us against doing. And the fact you pointed out, when the FBI requests something like this, the FBI is still seen as a very powerful and in some people's minds, feared institution. It's an abuse of the FBI's good name to use the FBI to try and tell Twitter what to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've published uh, two books on the infamous Russia hoax. I devoted a lot of what I wrote to what I described as the malevolent actions of James Comey, the former FBI director, who, in my judgment, did enormous damage to the good name and reputation the fine folks who work at the FBI. He politicized and weaponized the FBI. He was driven by a hatred of Trump. Um, documents now show that the FBI learned almost immediately, certainly early on within the first couple of months, that the dossier was phony, uh, that it all had been fed to uh, the ex-British spy uh, who composed it, fed by cronies of Hillary Clinton, the FBI debunked it. And yet Comey concealed this from the American public, from Congress, from everyone, because he wanted to use it as a pretext uh, to get rid of Trump, uh, which is to me just unconscionable. What's your take on James Comey? Well, what happened, <clears throat> Comey's poor leadership under his, his poor directorship exacerbated the cultural change that was initiated by Mueller. Uh, Comey was taken up with his own virtues. Uh, he thought he was uh, better than everybody else. As, as you documented and others, he made the decision that should have been made by a prosecutor to decline prosecution in the one investigation. And in his own book, which I must confess I did get and buy and read, he once again goes back to the initiation of the Russian collusion investigation. And the one, the one thing he cites as predicate, again, 
which is also the main predicate in the first paragraph in the Mueller report, is this conversation in London uh, with George Papadopoulos, which is essentially two guys repeating a rumor at a bar. Right. Well, uh, I think you spend an awful lot of time in Washington, D.C. In presidential election years, you could stand or sit at any one of a half dozen key bars around Washington, D.C. and hear dirty rumors about any politician you want to name or, or wonder about. A rumor like that should not be enough predicate, is not enough predicate to initiate a counterintelligence investigation against any American, much less a presidential campaign. That was the principal abuse and 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 uh, Comey and McCabe in their books, they still cite that as the justification for the investigation. It was an abuse. It should have never happened. They And once again, though, it's people with this loosey-goosey intelligence approach to things rather than a stay-within-the-lines law enforcement approach. The culture in the FBI has to change. And for it to change, the current management has to recognize that that is what the problem is. All these individuals they keep letting quit or fire is is only a stopgap. It should happen, but it's only a stopgap measure. The yeah. cult, we have to restore the culture, and that's what my book is a plea to do. And I know certain officials have been reading it, and hopefully we'll get through to somebody. My guest is uh, FBI former Special Agent Tom Baker. Uh, his book that he refers to is The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency became a threat to democracy. But to the point you're making, Tom, here, I'm not sure that much has changed at the FBI since uh, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Jim Baker, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, since they all departed. Senior officials there were reportedly, and I commend them, against raiding Donald Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago, but they were overruled by the FBI general counsel, Jason Jones, who replaced Jim Baker, and Merrick Garland's Justice Department that wanted a raid, even though Trump had told the FBI, you can have access to everything, take what you want, come on down, we've secured it for you, just, uh, just come and grab whatever. Now, I've argued the raid was excessive and unmerited. No such raid took place, of course, at Joe Biden's homes or offices. So isn't this yet another example of a politicized double standard? Well, it's a clear example of another abuse. In the past, under Director Webster, Louis Free, others, the guideline, the general mentality was you always use the lesser means, the less intrusive means. So in this case, which you're citing, if you could get the information consensually, if you could get it through a subpoena or through a summons, you went with that lesser means rather than mounting a full-scale raid with use of a search warrant, which is very intrusive. The, the fact is, and this is what they fall back on, the fact is that raid on Mar-a-Lago undoubtedly was legal. They went to a U.S. magistrate or a, a judge. They got a warrant. They had enough probable cause for a search warrant. It was legal, but that's, it was still an abuse. And so much through over the past five or six years have been legal. For instance, the FISA warrant. On the face of the FISA warrant, it was legal under the current guidelines, but it's an abuse in my contention 
to go after an American citizen, any U.S. person, in this case Carter Page, through the use of a FISA warrant. That was an abuse. The raid on Mar-a-Lago was an abuse, even if it was legal. And, yeah. and that's what they got to get their head around again and get back to operating within the guidelines of a law enforcement agency rather than reaching out there. And, 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 and just like the Twitter files, intelligence analysts are driving the whole agenda now. They want to go look at something, look at this, what about this? The, the, the most egregious lately is they cook up uh, an intelligence paper uh, talking about the potential of domestic terrorism originating in a group of Roman Catholics who happen to be so traditional, they prefer the mass in Latin. I mean, that's such an <laughs> overreach and reaching into the, another protected area of the First Amendment, freedom of religion, uh, it, it, it would have been unthinkable uh, un under previous directors. They have to change the culture and get back to coloring within the guidelines. Yeah. I mean, the FISA warrant was legal because they lied to the FISA judges. The Mar-a-Lago raid was legal because they snookered a, a lowly magistrate into signing off on this overly broad search warrant that was in clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, but look, Attorney General Merrick Garland seems to be using, and this is what you just alluded to, the FBI as a political attack dogs. I mean, he's going after parents who complain at school board meetings. He's targeting, as you say, Catholic groups. He's targeting pro-life people, turning a blind eye to abortion activists who've committed acts of violence and arson. Won't do anything about Antifa because, you know, uh, he said, well, they operate at night. Uh, Garland refused to arrest and prosecute protesters and rioters, threatening, intimidating conservative Supreme Court justices, that's clear violation of the federal law. And he said, oh, you know, that's sort of local law enforcement. No, it's federal law. I mean, this is shameful stuff, Tom. And in every case, Garland has commandeered the FBI to do his dirty work for him. Uh, clearly, you know my opinion of Merrick Garland. What's yours? Well, you summed up a lot of things correctly. I think one thing that deserves more study and reflection because it's wrong from several angles is this thing about school boards and parents. That That's another example of the FBI because it is, I mean, it is federal law enforcement uh, and it intimidates a lot of people. So we have to be discreet or we should be discreet about the use of the FBI. For Garland to put out there uh, and he put out instructions to all the U.S. attorneys and to the FBI uh, about violence at school board meetings. Now, I've, I've actually talked to very high-ranking FBI executives, and they assured they didn't, weren't happy with that. And they assured me all up and down that the FBI would only get involved if there was violence, uh, not not to, about anybody's speech. Mm -hmm. But be that as it may, uh, putting out the F that the FBI might be there, that's intimidating parents right at the get-go and, right. and intimidating U.S. citizens. But it's ridiculous on the face of it because if there is, and there could be on occasion, violence at a school board meeting like there's violence at a, any town council meeting occasionally somewhere in America, who do you call? You call the local sheriff's office. You call the local police department. It's a matter for state and local law enforcement. If there's violation at a local school board meeting, it's not a role for the FBI to get involved in. Right. That's the number one 
part of the whole puzzle that has to be addressed and looked at. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I've written several columns about that. It's just mind-boggling and and bewildering to me how the FBI would have jurisdiction over what is purely a local, local law enforcement matter. And I think you're right. They did it to intimidate people politically. Uh, final question. Um, you know, look at any poll. Uh, they show that public opinion of the FBI has hit rock bottom. Half the country doesn't trust the Bureau, 53% think it behaves like Biden's Gestapo, according to a Rasmussen's report survey. I mean, for a guy like you who spent 33 years devoting your life to the FBI, this must be heartbreaking for you. Well, it is. That that's, And I have said that. And it is heartbreaking. And in my particular case, after my 33 years in the FBI, I continued to be very engaged with the FBI on several levels. I was on several boards and I was a consultant to, to and with the FBI on several issues. So I've stayed very close in, closely in touch with developments at the FBI. And it is absolutely heartbreaking, but I'm not the only person that feels that way. For years, uh, and I talk about this and I conclude this in the book, I and I was assigned overseas for two, two occasions, and I spoke to a lot of foreign audiences explaining the FBI. And I always said, and others have said this, that the United States of America is blessed, blessed, had been blessed to have as its domestic security agency a law enforcement agency. So our domestic security agency, the FBI, worked within the parameters of law and regulation. That's not the way it is in any other country in the world, even other Western democracies. It's not that way in Canada, Britain, France, anywhere else. It was unique. It was a blessing. I'm afraid now the way people are behaving and putting that intelligence paradigm, that intelligence-driven label, label at the top of the FBI, America may now be cursed, cursed to have as its domestic intelligence agency an organization with police powers. And we, we have to switch that paradigm back around again. But that's what I fear is happening. Yeah. I watched, by the way, your testimony in a recent uh, House congressional hearing. And the treatment of you by congressional Democrats was, you know, in, in my mind, absolutely disgraceful. It was shameful. But you held sturdy and strong. And, and I compliment you uh, for the integrity you brought to that hearing. So on behalf of uh, intelligent uh, people who care about our constitution and the rule of law, thank you for having the courage to step forward and, and tell people your view, having spent 33 years at the FBI. Uh, my guest has been former FBI special agent Tom Baker. Check out his book, The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to democracy. Tom, thanks so much for joining The Brief. Thank, thank you, Greg, and thank you for everything you do and for your kind remarks. I appreciate it. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>